Back into it, it's Triple Play, the podcast. Java Chamberlain, Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt, uh, Brian Hoke, MLB.com, covers the Yankees. Joins us as we get kicked off into free agency. Fellas, how are we doing? Java, good to see you. Good to see you guys, B. Hoke. I'm glad you're at Fantasy Camp and you're still in one piece and haven't blown out yet, so give us some time here. We appreciate it. Well, Java, you know better than anybody, the training staff here is top-notch. They can keep you back on the field, you know. Um, so I haven't had anything severe yet. So a lot of ice, a lot of, lot of tape, but still playing. Tell Timmy Lent to kiss my ass. <laughs> All right. When I run into Timmy, I'll tell him. Well, well, take us through real quick your fantasy camp for the listeners that are unaware. Take us through what, what or, this involves. Or have a different idea. <laughs> oh, well, I mean, it's a ton of fun. And so I am actually – I'm doing it on assignment for a story, but um, for the, the the campers, it's great because you get to pal around with some of the old timers, you know, guys who uh, played in the big leagues. You know, uh, my my coaches right now are uh, um, El Duque, Orlando Hernandez, and Ronald Torres. Jeff Nelson's a coach down here. Uh, Jeff Carstens, Java, you played with Jeff, um, so there's a there's a good uh, Scotty Proctor's here, Java. So. Uh, yeah, there's a good Yankee contingent. It kind of spans the eras. Mickey Rivers is still hanging around. So if you grew up a Yankee fan or, you know, went to Yankee games as a kid, this is kind of the dream to be able to put on the pinstripes and imagine what it would have been like to be on the team with some of your favorite players. And so you get the full experience. You get to we play doubleheaders every day. Uh, you play nine games in four days, which is a, it's a grind. And that's why I'm talking about the training room. Uh, but it's, you know, a very compressed time here and you do everything that the ball players do you go in you get the treatment you you get the food room um the kind of the whole behind the scenes we did a kangaroo court today where um, you know, <laughs> your coaches your coaches can rip on you for you know a guy throwing bats or you know not running out of ball or whatever it be and so and you actually get fined and it goes to the yankee charity so i mean it's a lot of fun and uh like i said i'm doing it for a story but uh, these campers keep coming back year after year. And there's a reason, you know, a lot of guys come and they say, Oh, it's a bucket list item. I want to do it once. And then they, before you know it, you look up and they've come back five straight years. So it's kind of an experience you can never get anywhere else. If you're a diehard Yankee fan or a baseball fan, like it's, it's the dream. I got to yeah. hear a little bit about this kangaroo court. Uh, what was the charge? Was there a fine? And then Jabba, uh, your locker room, who was the judge? Oh, man. Well, we got fined. Our team got fined because we got 10 run ruled. And so uh, everybody <laughs> on our team got to have to give up. No, our team stinks. I'm like, we are bad. I'm like, And that's the other thing. Like, it's not good baseball. Like, we are – this is not our day job. We're not professionals. But we do love baseball and love getting out there and playing. And it's just fun to do what you did when you were kids. And, like, I knew in high school that I wasn't going to go pro. Like, it was pretty obvious. And so – I had to find a different path. And, I, you know, I got guys on my team who are lawyers and CPAs and retired cops. I mean, it's it's all walks of life uh, coming together. And what we do is we love baseball and we love to play. And, like, it, wins are great. I wish we could win some more. And hits are good. But it, it really is about getting on on the field. And, you know, there's so many times, even when we got 10 runs uh, the other day, somebody in the dugout said, hey, you know, we could be at work right now. And I was like, yeah, you're right. This is uh, this is much better. So, um, and Java, I would love to hear about the kangaroo court back in the Yankee days. Yeah, they were uh, not so – it probably took until we got CeCe in there. Um, just it was a little bit, a little bit different um, before. But 
Uh, I think our fines were a little higher than what yours were, be probably. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, you know, your income was a little higher, too, than ours. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it helps. But, yeah, the, the first time, I'll never forget it. Um, obviously, as a baseball player, you hear about it, right? Well, I just happened to be with this Disney actress in Toronto. And we all know Toronto's legendary with Yankee players. Hey, Rod. Um, and... Uh, so unbeknownst to me, we're staying. I won't I won't drop names because I don't know if they stay there anymore. So I'm not gonna say where we stayed. But walk in and she's a Disney actress and she has my jersey on. And sure as shit, who just do I happen to be walking with? And it was Derek. And I was like, oh <laughs> I'm not gonna live this one down. So yeah, that was my that was my first kangaroo court fine, and I will never forget it. And how was Hillary Duff? Uh, it definitely wasn't her, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah. Now, now she's married and happy with two kids. Like so, yeah, she's doing great. Okay, wow. So, so you're still keeping track, huh? You're still keeping track. I mean, well, we still chit chat every once in a while. How much was a fine, bro? Thousand. <laughs> I bet. I bet. And the best, the best part of was is at the end of the year, it went into a thing where. We had like a Fourth of July party or somebody's birthday or whatever. It just it just went into a big fun and and you kind of just played it by year through the year of, of what it was. I mean, there there'd be one showing up late and it'd be you know hundred bucks, three hundred bucks. Um, yeah, I was I was still young back then, so Derek liked to bust my chops back then. So um, I guess I'll take it. I'll never forget it. So I guess it's neither good nor bad. The, uh, if I remember right, Mariano was the judge, right? Yeah, Mo was the judge. Yeah. And he, was he, he, fair? he was, I mean, he was harsh. I I find Mo one time. Okay. Yeah, because he, he used my phone on the airplane because he didn't want to buy the internet. <laughs> I'm like, come on, man. I'm still on my first salary. You you signed four of them. Like, you signed four contracts. I'm still on my first salary. And can you no, can you believe that's still a problem with the Yankees, right? They they still have to pay for the internet on the plane. Man, it's it's so funny. Like people that don't know is they're like, oh, you guys must have your own plane, right? And I was like, no. Are they are they still flying Delta? Delta, yeah. Same flight attendants, or they still rotate? I don't know. You'd have to ask. <laughs> You'd have to ask somebody who's actually on the plane. But uh, I know they got to pay for the internet, and so. Hey, it would probably cost a little more in your day. Um, yeah, I think it's like 10 bucks now. It's just annoying, but do what you got to do. Well, you, you can't go money ball with this and throw in the trade kicker somewhere down the road and say, hey, yeah, no, we got cash considerations, plus you're going to pay for the internet for our players on the plane for the next three years. I feel like you can throw that in at somewhere in some sort of trade kicker, right? I mean, you can throw anything you want in the contract. I mean, they, all they can say is no. I mean – the one I always and I learned from the older guys, the one I always made sure to throw in in every contract I signed was a suite on the road, just because mm -hmm. you're around everybody so much. And, and mind you, I seen Brian more than I seen my son for seven years. And, Lucky. you know, yeah, I know. Right. He is a little bit better looking than you now, though. So, hey, uh, OK, I didn't come on this to be insulted. <laughs> and so, like, just that part of it is like okay, let me just see if it works. And the older guys is like, yeah, because there's times where 
you just want to eat but not be in your bed the whole time and just like have that peace and quiet and order room service and so i yeah i always put it in there and it was it they always or they just took it out of my check and i didn't pay attention enough so shit, i don't know <laughs> brian hoke with us says mlb.com yankees beat reporter checking in on triple play podcast and Brian, we'll, we'll get into some more story time in a bit, and uh, I want to get your take right now, just reaction more so to Cashman. Let's start with the Yankees, his reaction to criticism, his reaction to the season, and uh, your kind of outlook moving forward here uh, as we dive into free agency a little bit, some moves you think the Yankees may be looking at, at making uh, with this this upcoming season. Uh, how do you kind of ballpark his reaction? And let's look ahead to the future. Yeah, that was not the reaction I expected. I've never really seen him like that. Um, I mean, you, you can get under his skin a little bit and he'll he'll fire back on you. But that was an hour straight of basically just being defiant. And like we all watched the 2023 Yankees. It was not a good product. It was boring. Uh, they had 82 wins for a while. It looked like uh, they weren't even going to finish above 500. And it was just a bad team. As soon as Judge hit that wall in Los Angeles, the season went off the rails. And so to look back here in, you know, December or whatever was it, November, it's, it's still November. Um, they still got time on the clock. But to look back and say, uh, well, you know, I think we're actually pretty freaking good. It's like, okay, mm, you finished fourth. And so I know that he's not talking about the on-field product. He's talking about the decision-making process. But in so many years where the Yankees have failed to make the World Series, Java, you know, they haven't won since 09. It's been a while. And so we have that press conference every single year. And it's, uh, yeah, we, we didn't meet our, our, our goal. And, uh, you know, we're going to do better for next season. And we're going to, you know, it's a disappointment for our fans. And you, you can almost write it before it happens. So to have something different here, look, I mean, as a reporter, as a writer, I, I love having a different storyline than the same stuff we've been hearing for years. But that was just kind of strange. It, it was, it, I, I feel like Cash hasn't talked to the media since August. And a lot of this has probably been boiling um until now and he finally just let loose and um it kind of clashed with what hal said earlier in the day which is that you know the season was unacceptable and it was a disappointment and then uh to then have your gm out in arizona come out and basically guns firing saying like you're wrong we're we're doing everything right and uh, it sounded to me a lot like they're thinking about running it back for next year and so um, I, I don't see how you can run it back the same product without changing it here. Maybe I'm reading that wrong. Uh, they, they better do something different because uh, I think this year exposed to a lot of people that they've kind of fallen behind here. They, I mean, this uh, at no point this year did I really look at that product on the field and say, well, this is a team that could go all the way. So they, they got a lot of work to do this offseason, and maybe that's just a smokescreen to steer people away from it. But I, I feel like – the negative fan reaction and, and you know, through that, the media has gotten under Cashman's skin here. It, it's clear. Do you think, too, this, this is going to be two-part for you, B. Do you think there's a little bit of disconnect between Hal and Cash and the aspect of basically you're getting two sides of the fence in the same day? And then also the second part of that, do you think since Cash hasn't talked since August and for as long as Cash has done that, he's never reacted that way? I haven't seen it. Yeah, that's off script for him. So, do you think it's just like it's festering? And like I said, two part. Is there a little disconnect between how and and I'm not saying in a bad way. 
I'm just saying perspectively of how they envision what they want to do. And I, I personally, at the same time, that was an hour of cash just given the business. And I've never, I mean, personally, you can see it on a one-on-one -on -one level dealing with him and understand it. But I mean, he's always in the, in the media and the aspect of dealing with you guys and, and very politically correct and mundane and, you know, just, Hey, this is what we're going to do. So I, I, that, that's two things that I wanted to ask just because it was so like eye opening to hear them both talk and get completely two perspectives. Yeah. I, I think that, well, look from the outside looking in, my guess is that cash does not like this situation that he's in right now, where Hal Steinbrenner says everything is on the table and we're going to evaluate everybody and everything. And I don't think cash likes having people poke into his department and, and say, all right, are you doing analytics right? Are you doing this right? Why are these trades wrong? You know, why, why did you trade for Frankie Montas? What went wrong with Joey Gallo? Having every, I mean, look, in my life, I wouldn't want every mistake I've ever made to, for my bosses to go back through it and kind of relitigate it. So uh, I think that Hal, when he described those three days, they, they met here in Tampa and it was, you know, Hal and Cashman and all the baseball ops people. And it was three days of, intense conversation there eight hours a day you know that would probably piss me off too if, if i if i had my bosses go back through every story i've ever written and say why did you use this word here and well, shouldn't you have found a better word here or well, you could have called this guy for an interview so i don't know i mean uh, I, I think but the, it is what it is like they finished 82 and 80 it was their worst season in you know 30 years um it, this is the time now to reflect on that and so um, I, I feel like they've never been in a situation here where um, it, this year was just such a disaster. And it's kind of like, where do you go from here? And uh, are if I'm the Yankees, if I'm a Hal Steinbrenner, I want to know, are we on the right course? And it doesn't help, by the way, when you have your star player, your, your captain and Aaron Judge, the last day in Kansas City, telling us there's a lot wrong here that we need to fix. And, I mean, he's saying this out in the open and, and that we're not using the right analytics. And so there's a lot going on here in this Yankee universe. And I feel like there's this now power dynamic here where Hal is not just listening to Cashman. He's also listening to Judge. And he, he's interested to hear what the players are saying. And so I think that that may be causing some of this kind of friction here. Brian Hoke with us here, the Triple Play podcast, talking some Yankees offseason storylines and Brian, you mentioned the fact that that Aaron Judge ended the season's unhappy, and you called him the Yankees' star player. But as of a couple of years ago, the vision was to have a couple of star players in the outfield with, with Giancarlo Stanton as well. And now the Yankees find themselves in a dilemma there with his massive contract. I think he's on the books until 2027. What do you think the Yankees try to do with, with Stanton? Because he hasn't lived up to expectations, not even close since he's put on the Yankee uniform. Yeah, the first couple of years were all right, but then he has not been the same player. Uh, and he, he did have some big postseason moments, but yeah, that's a big bite. To, I mean, look, and this year they bought out Aaron Hicks and, and they yeah, cut bait with Josh Donaldson. So they're, they're not averse to eating contracts when they go bad, but 97 million, I think, is what they still owe Stanton. I mean, that's a lot to eat. And so I, I think your plan has to be, look, I know Stanton talked at the end of the year. He said he's going to go do some uh, stuff, uh, flexibility. Clearly, he could not move. He could barely run the bases. And so he's got to do something with his lower half and figure out how he can stay on the field, be healthy, and and be actually uh, a contributor here. He, he, he'll run into a home run now and then. And he still hits the ball harder than anybody. But if the guy's hitting 190, that doesn't really help your team a whole lot. So uh, that's not the player. The 2023 Giancarlo Stanton – 
you can't play that. That's unplayable uh, for a team that's trying to win a World Series here. And so I, I think you have to give him a chance. Get, let him go through a full offseason. I'm sure there were injuries that he was dealing with that he was guarding against. If he comes in fully healthy and can figure out a way to stay on the field, Judge said that he thinks having Stanton play the outfield more would actually benefit him. And so maybe that's something you look into instead of letting – just having him be a four or five at bat a day DH that, I mean, get him more involved there. But I think you also have to be ready at some point to say, and it's probably not on opening day, but later in the year, I mean, the all-star break, if it's as bad as it was this year, then you kind of have to say, all right, this is not working here. And you can't have a, a guy making 25, 30 million sitting on the bench either. So then what are your choices here? So they are kind of handcuffed to Giancarlo and uh, you know you have to bank that he can roll back the clock a little bit because he is still relatively young I think he's 33 34 years old he should not be this is not you know a 40 42 year old player at the end of his career he should have more years left Brian, you know, go ahead Jabba no no I was just going to say it, as far as the hitting aspect and obviously there's been rumors in, in James Rousen coming back which I love Jim. He was fantastic, a great dude, and, and knows the knows the organization and that. What did uh, what did you feel like too? Like when Casey came in and did whatever he did. Obviously, you saw it on a daily basis. We saw it from afar. Do you think bringing somebody like Rouse and J. Rowe that we called him that knows what he's getting him into, knows the organization, knows? Do you think that can be an addition? And then. Who do you think steps in for Carlos Mendoza as he went, obviously, across down to the Mets? Yeah, I don't know on Mendoza yet, um, but I can tell you that Rousen's a great hire if the Yankees can pull that off. And I think that that speaks again to the uh, power that Judge has, because I know Judge and Rousen work together in the minor leagues. Judge thinks very highly of him. He, you know, Rousen obviously went out to chase a big league hitting job, but now, uh, now he's got a chance to come back here as a kind of a seasoned big league hitting coach. And so uh, I think that that speaks to Judge's influence as well there. Um, and, you know, Casey, I thought, uh, added a lot of energy, which uh, there was a lot of bad vibes in that clubhouse, especially on the hitting side. The team wasn't performing. And it always comes out when the team's playing like crap, you know, right? Um, you know, then you, then you get the sniping and the whispers. And so we, we certainly heard it, um, uh, you know, until they, they changed at the All-Star break. And that's something that did not come lightly either. Cashman told us, you know, and this is true, He's never fired a coach in season, a coach or a manager. He'd never done it. He always done it in the offseason. So for to have to do that at the all-star break, that's pretty drastic. And, you know, they brought in Casey on Boone's recommendation. Obviously, they're they're good buddies. And, you know, I think that Casey has a big league track record. He'd never coached before either. So it's kind of getting your feet wet a little bit and seeing, is this right for me? And I think that with the uh the family stuff um that he's got going on and broadcasting is such a cushier gig and you have to i get the question all the time it's like why don't the yankees bring in Derek jeter or Jorge Posada or as a as a hitting coach or a manager they're never going to want to do that because it means 180 days on the road plus spring training like away from there's a grind to it and so yeah yeah would Posada be great as a bench coach of course he would but he's not going to commit to 180 days and so um you know I, I feel like a guy like Rousen who's paid his dues who has obviously worked his way up the ladder has connections with uh with the players already in the organization they know him coming in that that's a great fit that's a perfect fit and it's uh you know, a happy coincidence that he happens to be available. 
Brian, before we we move on here and talk some some bigger topics, some grander MLB free agency here, I want to get your thoughts with with Brian Cashman. We, we hit on him a little bit earlier. He signed the big contract last offseason. I think it was four years. But the guy I saw yesterday was a guy that seemed to be under some pressure. Whenever you go up and meet the media, like that reminded me of – I was covering locally. his face. <laughs> I mean, it reminded me of a guy in Bo Pelini here locally in Lincoln, Nebraska, that got up in front of the media whenever he was on the hot seat and kind of went in a tirade. And I don't think it's reached that point just yet, but – Yeah, he's not Bo level yet. He's not Bo Pelini level <laughs> just yet. He's a special level, but – do you feel like he is feeling the pressure despite the fact that that he signed that contract last offseason, that this is a huge offseason to get things right or else it might be his ass on the line? Well, I, I mean, you know, without having gotten inside his head, I, I how could he not? How could he not be feeling the pressure? I mean, you know, his team was a, a massive disappointment this, this past year. They didn't even make the playoffs in a year where baseball watered down the playoffs and basically <laughs> everybody could get in. You know, there was no universe. If you go back to opening day of this year where I said the Yankees would not be a playoff team, like they, they would just walk backwards into it. You figured they were going to find a way to, to win 90-something games and get to the playoffs. Like that was a given. And so I think that – the fact that they didn't just fall short, but they fell spectacularly short, of course, Cashman is is feeling the heat. And, you know, we see it on social media and, and it's loud and it's loud and it's angry. And um, a, a big portion of the fan base is disillusioned right now and they're looking for answers. And I, I just don't see how you can tell them, well, you know, injuries were the problem because injuries are the problem every year with this Yankee team. Uh, I mean, yeah, on paper, they, they should be uh, postseason contenders and championship contenders, but you got to have the guys show up and the horses show up there and be ready to play. And so I think that that's part of the frustration probably for cash is that uh, their numbers uh, show that, you know, I'm sure that they forecast it and said, this is going to be a championship caliber team. That's their buzzword that they always give us. Um, and the, the fact that they fell so short of that, yeah, he's, he's feeling the heat. But also, I, I think that it gets louder every single year, this kind of snowball, this snowball of the Yankees haven't won since 2009. And one of the things Cashman told me when we were working on our book 10 years later for the 09 was like, thank God that we won in 2009, because if we didn't, the story would have been, oh, they tore down Yankee Stadium and uh, now they're, they're cursed and they, they're never going to win again. Well, all right, fine, you survived that part, but now it's 2010, 2011, 2020. I mean, you know, the years are going by here, and uh, it's a drought. And so they, they got to get back on top. And I don't know from just looking at this team right now, I can't tell you how they do that. I, I can't. I mean, yeah, you could go get Cody Bellinger, and uh, you want to trade for Juan Soto, okay. But I don't even know if they're just one piece away at this point. Brian Hoax with us, MLB.com, covers the Yankees Triple Play podcast here with Herd at Sports. Chris Schmidt at Java Chamberlain, Elijah Herbal. And we're going to get into some free agents here, Brian. And the big name on, on everyone's hit, wish, hit list and wish list is Shohei. And put a percentage on Shohei with the Yankees. Are you going to go nay, yay or nay on that? And when it comes to a landing spot, where, where do you – where would you bet? Where would you think he could end up? I mean, my top pick would be Dodgers. I, I think that, uh, you know, he stays out there. The Dodgers got deep pockets. I, I feel like that's been years in the making where the Dodgers are kind of making that pipeline to just bring him up the freeway there. Uh, I, I would say chances with the Yankees, just based on where their payroll is, I, it's 
less than 5%. I, I, I mean, I'd be shocked. I'd be stunned. Of course, of course, the Yankees would love to get him and love to add him. He'd make any team better. But I, I feel like if he was going to go to New York, it's more likely on the other side of town with the Mets. Uh, you know, just my opinion. I think the Mets can obviously outspend anybody they want to. But I, I go back to when Shohei was available for the first time. And we all thought it was a lock that the Yankees were going to be in there. And they flew everybody across and uh, made these great presentations. And it, it, it really felt like uh, Yankees, Shohei Otani, of course he would want to come to the Big Apple. But what you don't know and what none of us know, because Shohei is very close, uh, you know, guarded about this all, none of us know what he's really thinking, but I know what he was thinking then. And it was that he didn't want to play for any team east of the Mississippi. So, I mean, just geographically, you think about the flight to Japan, um, would he be a huge star in New York? Yeah, he would own New York City. Uh, and so uh, he would be amazing there. But I don't know if the player actually wants to play in New York. And actually, every time he's come in to play the Yankees, he hasn't played all that well. He's, he's pitched very poorly at Yankee Stadium. I, I feel like uh, there, there's something about New York that just didn't agree with him then and still continues to. I know he's had a couple good games against the Yankees, but for the most part, um, when we see Shohei come in and play against the Yankees, it's kind of like it's, it's a letdown. And, um, you know, when, when the Yankees play Shohei on the West Coast, much different player. Yeah, what do you – I mean, let's – we can stay on that topic too, talking about Shohei not wanting to come in. Now listening to, you know, Buster was talking on baseball tonight, you got Yamamoto coming out at 25 years old. And he said that the Yankees are the leader in that category. That dude – Watching some of his stuff was disgusting. Like, and you know, it, it's the hype of all the guys that we've had. And I was fortunate enough to to play with some of the great ones that came out of there. <clears throat> but is there is there any headway or is there any rumblings on Yamamoto being leaning towards New York, or is he kind of just playing it and and because he really hasn't said anything. Right. Yeah. And I think that's smart at this stage. You know, they let everybody get in on it and again, run the bidding up. I mean, that's what I would do if I was a free agent. But yeah, obviously, there's probably about a, a dozen teams out there that would like to get Yamamoto and like to add him. And so the Yankees are in that group. Now, is he going to go to the high bidder? Does he have a team in mind, a specific city? We don't really know the answer to that yet. What I can tell you is that uh, the Yankee front office didn't fly all the way across the world to watch him pitch just to had their frequent flyer accounts you know i mean that that was a real that was a real business trip that they were going out there and they uh they don't do that very often and you know one of the guys they did it for was otani and they were legit in on otani they did it for tanaka and tanaka came to new york and was great with the yankees so um hey, I think that, Hope, what about uh what about k gow did they do that for him not as great. And actually, I feel like that one, if you if we can talk about that for a second, the guy they wanted that was Daisuke Matsuzaka. And they were in on Matsuzaka. And then he obviously ch picked Boston. And it was kind of like, oh, uh, well, we didn't get him. Let's get this guy instead. And that never works. That never works when you go for the second choice. The Yankees just did that, uh, what, two years ago. They wanted Luis Castillo. They wanted Castillo bad. They couldn't get him because they weren't going to give up Anthony Volpe and Jason Dominguez, which I understand. But then you trade for Frankie Montas, who was injured and has given them nothing and is now a free agent. So I feel like every time they go for their second choice, they get burned on that. So back back to Otani real quick. Do you think and this was talked about a little bit on on foul territory with those guys? Um, do you think it's important for him to sign early or wait it out and see? And, and the only reason I kind of ask this is 
from the perspective of not only the player just getting it out of the way, it's kind of the same shit I'm dealing with with my son trying to pick a college. Shit's stressing me out. I'm getting more gray hair. He's getting frustrated. Not on the same level, but I know what he's going through. To get it done and then from the team side of it, of them being able to market and promote, I mean, one of the biggest figures that we have in sports right now. Yeah, well, I mean, I tell you what, if you sign Shohei Otani to a 10-year, $600 million contract, there's plenty of time to schedule your bobblehead nights. I'm not worried about that. They'll figure out the marketing. Um, I, I think it's really... I don't think the market's going to move without him. Put it that way. You know, it's not like he's going to, if he's out there for a month too long, people are going to say, ah, we were interested, but not anymore. Like, But how has like, how his market changed now that he's, he can't pitch next year? That's so has, true. Has that number completely changed? I, I think it has to, right? Because, uh, you know, I know what his side is saying that, oh, he'll be back. None of us can guarantee that. I mean, the list of guys who have had a couple of Tommy John surgeries and weren't the same guy. I mean, you can make a long list of that. And I feel like that's a significant surgery, even though I know that the, they're not calling it Tommy John. It's basically a Tommy John. He's going to have Tommy John. Um, so I think that anytime you have that second time, the second rupture, of course you're worried about, is he going to come back and be the same pitcher? And I mean, what's great about him though, is we know he's a hitter. And so I think you have to look at it as he's a hitter who may pitch for you in the future, but you can't guarantee and bank on that. He's going to be an ACE type pitcher. And um, I think you almost have to look at it as a bonus and just kind of look at him strictly as this is a guy who can slug the heck out of the ball and maybe he'll pitch for us too. I want to get both Java's take and Brian's take on this moving forward. Could you foresee a move to the bullpen for Shohei? I don't, I don't think so. Java, you want to take this one? As I mean, a starting pitcher who moved to the bullpen? Uh, what was it, seven or eight times? I, I lost count after a while. Yeah. Um, we'll, we'll have to go back when we do our book, B.O. We'll have to go back and look at that. Um, nice, I love it. No, I, I just don't think it's possible because you're, you're obviously going to want him in the lineup. So how, like, if, if you're going to move him, obviously, to the back end of the bullpen, and he there's – there's no bullpens that are close. It's not like we're in high school where he can hit and then just walk across the fence and warm up. Just logistically, do I think he could do it? A thousand percent. But I think logistically, you have to have his bat in the lineup. And especially, I mean, shit, they made up a rule for him. Like, I mean, the dude's changing the game. Am I putting anything past him? Hell no. But I just think the logistics of, okay, he has to hit. He's up second in the ninth. You know, he as we've seen in Japanese baseball, they throw outside the dugout and they do all those things. But that's nothing like coming in the game. Like when, you know, he obviously came in in, in the WBC, he was already down there. Like he wasn't hitting. He was locked in. So I just logistically, I don't think that it's it's possible because if he's up in the lineup, but he's your seventh, eighth leverage guy. I just, it, there's just too much back and forth of him trying to just do the logistics of getting to a bullpen because some bullpens aren't close and you have to go all the way around, get a cart. So I, I just, I don't think so. And B, you obviously see it from, from a different perspective. That's just, that logistically, I don't think it could happen. I love the idea and the suggestion of it, but yeah, logistically, I can't. All right, let's say it's the ninth inning, and um, you know his team, whoever it is, 
Um, he's on second base at, at the last out of the top of the ninth. How the heck is he going to get ready to be the closer? You know, and, and I mean, you know, he's going to jog back to the dugout and throw his eight warm up pitches and then be ready. I, I don't I mean, look, I, I guess I, I wouldn't rule anything out, but that, that seems a little uh, tough to pull off there. And uh, as much as I'd love to see him be able to pitch and, and have a shorter thing there, I think he's, you kind of got to do one or the other. Mm-hmm. Brian Oak with this triple play podcast. Couple more minutes with Brian, and uh, covers uh, the MLB.com. You know, I'm interested. Okay, we got Shohei, and then there's um, kind of everybody else, and uh, <laughs> there's some really talented guys. Yanomoto, of course, Javits touched on, and that guy's incredible. But Snell's out there. Bellinger, you mentioned Sonny Gray uh, had a really nice run for the Twins. Anybody that kind of piques your interest here, uh, Brian, maybe for New York or maybe a different landing spot that you think, okay, X, Y, or Z maybe is a piece away. There's a, there's a puzzle piece out there. Well, he's not a free agent, but Juan Soto piques my interest. I, I feel like if, they, if the Yankees could find a way to plug that bat into Yankee Stadium, that's the one thing they, they lack so badly is left-handed power and this guy I mean, he's basically ted williams at this point in his career he's, he's a no-brainer uh, of course look he's in the last year of his contract he's going to get paid for like crazy but if they can figure out a way to pry him away from san diego that changes the whole narrative around this team because uh, like i said like we touched on earlier with the cashman stuff like it's ugly it's bad i mean there is so much vitriol and just disappointment around this yankee team right now and you want to find one way to clear the storm clouds and and kind of get everybody excited again for the 2024 yankees plug juan soto in the lineup somehow some way um my concern is with that he also can't he's not a very good defensive outfielder so and yankee stadium is a tough defensive left field so maybe i guess you could put him in right move judge to left judge has played center i, I guess that's how you could figure it out because you're weighed down with stanton at the d8 spot but it's not a perfect fit in so many ways and i think in a lot of ways bellinger makes more sense for them just He's a free agent. You can plug him in. He's got a Yankee connection. His dad played in New York, and uh, they've needed a left fielder for a long time, and he's a better defender out there. Uh, I think that one other thing you could do if you're the Yankees, Kevin Kiermeyer's out there. He's, he's AL East tested, great defensive center fielder. While you're waiting for Jason Dominguez to come back and you're expecting Dominguez back at, probably around the All-Star break, Kiermeyer can kind of shore up center field for you, but uh, they're looking for two outfielders. Judge is their guy out there right now. They got one outfielder, and so – um, yeah, any of those guys that I just mentioned would be a nice plug-in, but Soto is the one that I feel like would really move the needle if you could figure out some way to get him to New York and then convince him to stay. Uh, that that changes your whole franchise right there. Yeah, I, I think that's that's huge. But too, you touched on Bellinger, obviously having ties and everything else. But one thing I want to touch on too is is what Cody did last year. Cody bet on himself. Yeah. And took the qualifying offer. It's what was it, seventeen nine or or something like that. So there's seven offered this year. There's only been thirteen that have taken it, and over a hundred and twenty players that have been offered. And do you think? And and when you brought up Sonny Gray, Schmitty, is do you think a guy like that, after having the one good year, or I don't think any of those guys that have already turned it down are gonna take the qualifying offer at 20 because of the years that they had belly was coming off a bad year he knew it bet on himself and turned it into a lot of money so i just don't think a lot of people understand what the qualifying offer and what it means so if you could 
delve into that a little bit just to get a better understanding for people that uh, that are listening? Yeah, the qualifying offer is the, uh, I think it's the average of the top 125 salaries in baseball. And basically it's a one year take it or leave it from the team that you are just leaving as a free agent. And so if you leave as a free agent, then your team, your former team gets uh, compensation. Otherwise, if you stay and accept it, you're there on a one year contract. So in a situation like uh, you just mentioned with Bellinger, it makes sense for him to take that deal. For a Shohei Otani, who's going to get one from the Angels, it does not make sense for him to come back for one year when he can get so much more. So uh, it is a way that uh, teams can get some compensation. And uh, like I said, it's the average of uh, the top 125 salaries. So it's kind of a fair number there. Um, but, yeah, I don't think Bellinger's going to take it this time around. Yeah, that'd be, a, that'd be a bit of a pay cut, huh? <laughs> yeah, I, I wouldn't do that. I wouldn't, if I were his lawyer or his agent, I would not advise him to take it. Brian, um, to, to, to zoom out here just a little bit in the grander scheme of, of, of Major League Baseball, and I know you're locked in on the Yankees, but, but whenever you look at Major League Baseball as a whole, talk about how big the offseason is for the Yankees. What other teams do you think could be just a couple pieces away from being able to make a World Series run? Because I look at like what the Orioles did last season with all their young talent. I know they don't have the biggest payroll in baseball, but you think if, if they're smart with their money this offseason, they could be a, a couple – moves away from potentially making a deep run into the postseason, maybe a World Series run. Are there any other teams like that that you're keeping your finger on their pulse this offseason, seeing what moves they make? Oh, my gosh. I mean, they're all in it. I think that we did not see the two best teams in baseball in the World Series. I mean, it just in uh, Texas and Arizona, I mean, you got the fourth best teams in each league, basically, who made it there. And so uh, I think that creates a lot of opportunity in this new playoff structure for any of these teams to think, to look at it and say, you know, we just got to get hot at the right time. And we got to get there. We got to get into the dance. But if 12 teams are making the playoffs, uh, then it's not just the division winners who are going to coast. And so I, I think this new structure, I'm not even sure if I like it completely. I, I want to see the best teams get to the World Series. And, you know, I, I think we all thought across the board that Atlanta was the uh, the shoe-in here I, I all season long. The Yankees went down to Atlanta, and I watched uh, I watched them just destroy uh, the Braves, the Braves destroyed the Yankees for three straight games. And I said, this team is going to go to the World Series. I was wrong. I was wrong. And so I think that, you know, here, I I think that when you look at what Texas and Arizona did, it kind of opens it up and it's like, all right, everybody's kind of in this and it's going to be more of a tournament now. So you got to just be the, the best team standing at that time and get hot and go on a run. And so um, I, I think it kind of opens up. It's, it might be good for baseball in a way because a lot of these teams that might have thought they were kind of out of it and just kind of half in, half out, now they can say, all right, we should go for it and we should add some stuff here. Brian Hoke's with us. Follow him on Twitter at Brian Hoke. And, Brian, before we say goodbye, tell folks about your book, 62. I know that's been out uh, for a little over uh, a year. Uh, super it's a great number, by the way. It's a great number, and I called it. Uh, yeah, it's not about Jabba, though. <laughs> no, see, the original book was going to be about Jabba, but then Judge messed it up and uh, hit 62 <laughs> home runs and broke Roger Maris's single season record. So we had to shift gears and change the book a little bit. But well, it's uh, it's, yeah. pretty, it's pretty easy what our book's going to be called. Jabba rules. Good God, yeah. I mean. Uh, I mean, you could have wrote that 10 years ago. <laughs> and I didn't make uh, a yeah. dollar off of it. Is that true? Didn't make a cent. Why? 
didn't make a cent. What did your agent mess up? Well, I get, no, I take it. I didn't make a cent. If I would have made a cent off each shirt, it'd have been more than what I signed with Models. Oh, okay. So All I right, signed well, with Models, but I didn't get anything off of the shirt itself. Well, the good news is you can go to Models right now and uh, buy some, oh wait, they're out of business. That was my your, point. Your Models gift cards are no good anymore. Damn it, Mitchell. I ran into him uh, at the airport last time I was in New York. Yeah. Still looks the same. <laughs> well, this has nothing to do with 62, which is uh, Aaron Judge, the New York Yankees, and the Pursuit of Greatness. It's uh, it's a book about Judge, of course, and in 2022, but it's also about Yankee history in a whole. And you can draw these uh, straight lines between these Yankee right fielders, Babe Ruth to Roger Maris to Aaron Judge, all of whom played in the same city, played the same position, and now they all hold the same record. So it's kind of a little bit of a biography on Judge and a little bit inside the clubhouse that that season that was so memorable and but also uh really just for any yankee fan or baseball fan it kind of is the whole picture of uh you know what that record means about baseball and you know we live these home run chases with mark mcguire and barry bonds and sammy sosa and now we hadn't seen one for a while and so it was kind of a reopening of wow, home run chases are fun and, and kind of everything that was going on there. And it really did capture the national attention for a long time here. And I think part of that is just a star that judges, he's popular, uh, but they were cutting in on college football games. And it was kind of just a really cool time just to show his at bats. And I feel like the sports world and, um, you know, the entire kind of pop culture really kind of latched onto it. So we explored all that in the book. And um, it's a nice little slice of uh, Yankee history and baseball history. Well, log on, brian-hoke.com. If you're a baseball fan, we think you are. And uh, I know uh, it's uh, an incredible book and project you, you did and um, want baseball fans and fans of the pod to go check it out. Last question for me, anyway, on your Twitter bio, your wife danced with Springsteen. Yeah, Springsteen. she did. Tell, tell me tell me how that shook out. Was it a reenactment of yeah, part two of Dancing in the Dark, or what, what's going Basically, on? Basically, yeah. Well, Java, you remember my wife, Connie. Uh, she worked in the Yankees PR department. That's where we met. And by so, the yeah. way, be before he even starts, he definitely outkicked his coverage. Oh, my <laughs> God. No question about that. I mean, <laughs> uh, yeah, we had our little uh, press box romance, and then, uh, you know, now we're married with two kids. And third on the way, by the way. So Congrats. Shut up. Thank you. Yep, yep. Due in January. So uh, three girls, so I'm a girl dad. Um, but uh, – yeah, no. So we uh, we had just gotten married and she was pregnant with our first um, daughter, Connie, uh, uh, Penny. And so we went to the Springsteen show in Newark and she brought a sign that said, like, Connie's bucket list, you know, get married, check, uh, pregnant with first baby, check. And then the third box said dance with Bruce. And so Bruce saw the sign. It was a big neon green sign. And he points at her and says, come on up on the stage. And so, you know, she inched up on the stage. She was, she was pregnant at the time. She was about six months pregnant. And so, but yeah, dancing in the dark. And she got her moment, uh, her Courtney Cox moment. So it was really cool. That's yeah. awesome. Who got so you the good. tickets? That's a better question. Ooh. Remember, I mean, I think we just got lucky. It's not like now with Taylor Swift tickets where you can't even touch them. I, I think we just got good seats. And what we did was we got the standing room only tickets. So we were in the pit, but there was a lottery and they gave you a wristband. And it was like, 
you know, let's say it said number 110. And so they came on, they were like, you know, wristbands 105 to 120, you can come in now. And so we just got lucky and we came in right at the opening of the arena. And so we were right there with our hands on the stage and it was crazy. It was awesome. Yeah. And obviously, you know, Bruce puts on a good show every time. Brian, as, the young, as the young single guy here who spends some time on press row, any your thoughts on the, the press row romance? What's the pickup line? What's the go-to to go to go pick up the, the PR girl? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if you can reenact that one. I mean, um, I'll tell you our story, though. I mean, somehow we, you know, I think I started sending her like emails or I think back then we had AOL Instant Messenger, if you remember, like, you know, during the game and we'd just be chatting and ha ha ha, you know. I don't know if you know this, I'm, I'm a very funny guy and I can make people laugh. And so, you know, at some point during spring training, I was like, oh, you know, all the guys here are so old and boring. Like, we should hang out. Like, let's go hang out. You want to go get drinks or something? And so, um, I, and then I think at some point I said, you know, you know, my favorite movie is Back to the Future. Do you want to watch it with me? And that was my pickup line. And so we, uh, we had a screening of Back to the Future at uh, during spring training in 2009, which was a great year for so many reasons, Shabba. Yeah, it was. I, I, you know what? I won't. I won't take that one back. We can. We can have that one. So Jabba yeah, wasn't yeah. the only one who got a ring in two thousand nine, huh? Well, I, I ran out the clock there for a while. There. <laughs> <laughs> so. That's awesome, Brian Hoke with us, uh, the Triple Play Podcast here with Herdat. Brian, awesome to, to talk some ball with you, and thanks for jumping on with the uh, the podcast. You got it, guys. Thanks for having me. That was fun. Thanks, B. That'll wrap here, the Triple Play Podcast. Big thanks to Brian Hoke, MLB.com. Uh, covers the New York Yankees. And guess what? You can follow us and find us on Twitter, the Triple Play Pod. Jabba Chamberlain, give Jabba a follow as well. Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt, and more free agency next week. And a slew, Jabba, of special guests coming up here in the coming weeks. We'll head out to the left coast next week, possibly. Yeah, we'll see what happens. We might have a... Special guest not on the sports side. So as a, fan, a big sports fan, big sports fan, but not in the sports realm. So it should be a different perspective. So hope everybody tunes in, follow us all, and uh, we'll have something special coming up. Spotify and Apple Play is where you can download the podcast with Herd at Sports Triple Play Podcast and give the uh, the show Twitter handle a follow as well at Trip Play. Elijah Herbal, Chris Schmidt, Java Chamberlain, back at you next time.